in the Pew Bible, but I am going to read the scripture throughout my message today. So we're just going to take it bit by bit. So I'm going to invite Shannon to just jump right over to that first slide after the scripture reading. And I invite you to have your Bibles open and ready to go as we'll dig in as we go through the, through the body of the message today. My question for you today is, have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever been so overcome with grief and loss, pain, or even tragedy that you weren't even sure if life was worth living? And you wondered to yourself, how could God possibly redeem this terrible situation? I can't believe it. 25 years for that company, and boom, my job is gone, eliminated, just like that. Just a few years away from retirement, and now my pension, mostly all gone. They say it's COVID-related. I don't know. Everything's COVID-related now. Blame it on COVID. I was so close to retirement. I worked for that company day in and day out for 25 years. Weekends, overtime when they asked me to. I was a faithful employee. I was a model employee. And I can't believe that this has happened to me. How am I going to provide for my family? Lord, help me. I can't believe she's gone. We would have celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary this coming year. Cancer took her way too soon. We did everything together. She was my wife my companion, my lover, and I still love her. I'll never stop loving her. I can't believe she's gone. And I am now a widower. I don't even like that word. Some days I don't even want to get out of bed. I wonder, what's the point? What's the purpose? Is life even worth living? God, help me. Do you have a plan in this, Lord? In all of this pain and loss? They say God never gives you more than you can bear, but... I'm not so sure. I don't know. Some days it could go either way.
What a week for the brakes to go out on the car. 400 some bucks for new brakes? Who has that kind of money? I just spent a bill paying the air conditioning, which broke the week before. What next? They say things come in threes. Probably will, you know. I don't have that kind of money. How am I going to come up with this unexpected expense? It's nuts. It just seems like one thing after the next. Life is hard. More bills. More bills. More bills. What is it for you? Is it losses, griefs, the pain of unexpected bills, tragedies, and broken things? It seems that no matter what, the problems and pains of life just keep coming. We can't catch a break. No matter how hard we try, how good we are, how much faith we have, Jesus was right. In this world, you will have trouble. No one is exempt. Jesus wasn't. And neither are we. The question is, how do we handle these trials, these tragedies, the grief and the pain, the loss, when it comes? How do we deal with it? Some people get frustrated and resentful. They want to curse and swear and shake their fists at God. Some people have a pity party. I guess the world is against me. Everything's coming against me. The author of Hebrews says, there's a better way. Endure hardship as discipline. Discipline from God. Grow through it. Learn from it. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the midst of your grief and pain that you might be transformed into the very image of God. As Christians and as churches, we all like to plan and program our spiritual growth, don't we? We organize Bible studies, we uh, join small groups, we attend worship, and we do all of these things on our terms when it's convenient, when it's comfortable. If I don't like this series or that topic, why, I might just opt out. I'll attend worship when I can, when there's nothing else going on, when I'm not too busy. And this is the kind of discipleship that most of us engage in most of the time kind of cherry-picking. But there is another method to growing in God. And it is much harder and harsher 
There is another method. Rather than taking place in cushioned seats and in an air-conditioned sanctuary or at the leisure of our schedules and free time, this method is much less forgiving and not one that anyone would really ever choose. It's not convenient, not planned. It's no fun. It's downright painful at times. But it is nearly 100% effective in bringing the transformation that we need in our lives. It is, I guess, referred to as the school of hard knocks. Learning through the pain and problems and hurt and heartache that life throws at us, whether we want it or not. These things are never planned. They seldom come with a warning. But they change us. The question is, are we getting better or bitter? As the old baseball player Vernon Law once said, experience is a hard teacher because she gives the test first and the lessons afterward. And yet nothing forces us to grow quite like pain and hardship. There are three aspects to Hebrews chapter 12 that God has laid on my heart that I have the privilege of sharing with you today. Three aspects of Hebrews chapter 12 in regard to growing through our grief and our pain. And I invite you to take your outline and fill it in as we go. The first one is this. Hebrews 12 is an exhortation to persevere. Say it with me. An exhortation to persevere. Picking it up now in verse 1, I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Notice that first word, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in scriptures, it means that what is coming hinges on what has just been said. What happens before Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith in which all of those dear saints, many of them heroes in our view, are listed. Heroes of faith who have gone before who have run the race and finished. People like Abel and Abraham, Jacob and Joseph, Noah and Nehemiah, Moses, and we could add Mary to the list, Samson and Samuel and David and maybe even your granddad. For the author of Hebrews paints this glorious picture of an entire stadium filled with saints and spectators cheering you on as you run your race, as you enter the stadium, as you round the track. All of them exhorting you by their cheers to persevere toward godliness and Christlikeness in your own spiritual journey and growth. Did your parents ever attend any event that you participated in as a kid, maybe growing up in school? 
Did you have the fortune? How many of your, your parents came out and maybe saw you? Maybe it was a sporting event, right? Or a certain a play that you were in at school, maybe. Um, I wasn't that athletic in school, and, uh, but I was in the band, you know. And, uh, you know, that was for people who weren't athletic, you know. And, uh, but I, I was in the band, and I loved being in the band. And in high school, I was in the pep band and the marching band, and I played those drums. But my parents seldom came to see uh, me play in the band. But there was one Friday night in Zeeland, Michigan, when my folks came out to cheer on the fighting chicks. That was our mascot, a big rooster, a big chicken. The fighting chicks. But they were there not to root on the football team. They were there to see me. And I stood a little taller that night. And I beat the drums a little bit harder that night. And I marched a little with more confidence that night. And I felt like I could do anything because mom and dad were there kind of cheering me on, watching me from the stands. And the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing. You are surrounded by a whole cloud, a whole, a whole arena full, a whole cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on. And the race is going to be hard. And there's going to be days where you're going to want to quit. And you're going to want to throw in the towel and you're going to want to give up and say, the heck with that, I'm done running this race. And the author of Hebrews says, no, look to the stands. Look to these dear saints. They are cheering for you. Why would you give up now? People like Noah and Moses and Abraham and Gideon and David and Mary and Joseph. And maybe Jerry and Gene Bateman and Wilbur and Ellie Adams. And Roland and Dorothy Miller and Doris and Harold Kruger. And maybe your own loved ones. Maybe your grandma and grandpa. Maybe your mom and dad or aunt or uncle. Maybe your friends. Maybe even your children are already there. But they are cheering you on. And they're saying, you can do it. If we can finish the race, you can. Yes, it will be difficult. But run your race with all that you've got. Run, Forrest, run. Because the stands are full of cheering, adoring fans and inspiring examples. Jesus, the prize, is indeed worth it. So run your race with perseverance in order to win the race, to get the prize. Don't give up. Hebrews 12 is an exhortation to persevere. Hebrews 12 is an example to ponder. Say it with me. An example to ponder. Picking it up now in verse 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. How's your vision? How's your vision? The other year when I went to the eye doctor, he said, oh, uh, you have just the beginning of cataracts forming. Great news, Doc. Thank you. Just what I wanted to hear. Right? And every time I go, it seems like my prescription is just a little bit off, that my power is a little less, uh, or my, my vision is a little less, and the power of my lens, my contacts need to be increased maybe a little bit more. And, and I've been resisting all of these years from using my readers, but every now and then I have to break down and, and, and read uh, with my readers on. Because as I get older, my vision is growing a little dimmer. And I think the author of Hebrews is saying essentially the same thing. It's easy for your vision to grow dimmer. And especially those of us who have walked with the Lord for some years, it's so easy as we get older to just sort of go through the motions and do the religious stuff and lose sight of Jesus. And pretty soon we forget why we are even in the race, what we are running for. We can easily get off course. We go cross country. We might even get lost. The author of Hebrews is saying, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the example to consider, to ponder. He is, in fact, the author and the finisher of our faith. That is to say, Jesus is the source, the origin of your faith, but he is also the completer of your faith. He is the alpha and the omega and everything in between. God will get you to where you need to be if you trust in him, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You think your race is hard. Consider what Jesus did. Consider what Jesus endured for you. Mocking, scorn, rejection, persecution, crucifixion, torture. And through it all, still Jesus kept his eyes fixed on the cross and even what was beyond the cross. There was a higher goal beyond the cross, the joy of pleasing God the Father, his Father, and sitting down at his right hand. Jesus kept focused even in the face of pain and crucifixion. There is no greater example to ponder than that of Jesus Christ. There is no greater inspiration for us to keep going. And what surely seemed like the worst day in history, the day that they crucified Jesus, the day that they killed God, turns out to be the best day in history. Because through his death, you and I are saved. Amen? 
through his stripes, through his wounds, we are healed. Amen? By the blood of Jesus, we are set free. Amen? God redeems pain. He doesn't waste an ounce. What was intended for harm, God uses for good. All things really do work together for good when God is in charge. How about you, brothers and sisters, friends of Grace Church? Are you keeping Jesus in focus as you journey through your life? Have you considered the struggles that Jesus endured in his race? When I was a student at Northwestern College here in Orange City, Iowa, some of us guys would every now and then, maybe a couple, two, three times a week when we could, we went to the weight room during the evening and worked out. You know how that is, and you know, college students are all into that, and that was back in the days they had the old universal machine. Remember those, the one set of weights and all of the stations around it? There's a bench press on there, and it's sitting. Of course, people are in the weight room. They're doing what people do in weight rooms. They're grunting and groaning. You know, you hear these sounds like, is that guy okay over there? Somebody call 911. I think he's having a heart attack, you know. And, uh, but among us guys, there's always some gals in the weight room as well, too. And, of course, they're welcome in. And uh, there's some kind of athletic types. I remember one, her name was Barb, Barb V, we'll call her. Still remember her. Really neat gal, very spiritual gal from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, student at Northwestern. And she was in that weight room, and she was on that bench press, and she was just letting out a scream. And... Some of us guys were over there kind of jostling with her and kidding her. Barb, you're like a mad woman over here. What's going on, you know? And, and she said something that was kind of bizarre, but had a lot of truth to it. She said, you know, when I'm on that weight bench, and this is just the kind of person Barb is, you got to know her. She goes, and I'm, you know, I'm ripping up my muscles and I'm feeling the pain. She goes, I just think of Jesus and what he went through on the cross. And then my pain doesn't seem so bad. You know, as college students, we kind of smirked and joked about that. I mean, it's so, oh, she's kind of, you know, super spiritual here, you know. But Barb was right. That no matter what we go through in this life, not one of us will be asked to carry the cross quite in the same way that Jesus did. And in fact, Paul even says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory, with the, with the glory that will be revealed in us, he says. And in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles, he calls all of these things of this world light and momentary troubles. That's not exactly how I might have described it. But they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And in our passage today, the author of Hebrews says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know, it's kind of like the old high school football coach. Hey, you're not bleeding. Get back in there. You know, until they draw blood. You know. I think the author is saying, hey, 
Probably none of us will be asked to take up our cross and shed blood and die for the purpose of Jesus quite in the same way that Jesus did. Light and momentary troubles. It's not to diminish the pain and the grief that we go through. Just the opposite is just the same that compared to the glory that will be revealed in us, compared to what Jesus did and, and, and forged his way for you and me to accomplish, to receive, these things are like nothing. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, Hebrews 12 is an exhortation to persevere. It is also an example to ponder in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, Hebrews 12 is an example to persist. Say it with me. An example to persist. Picking it up now, verses 4 through 7. Please follow along. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. For God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what child is not disciplined by his father? Let me be clear. I don't think the author of Hebrews is saying that God himself is the author of tragedy and heartache and pain and death and disease. We know that bad things sometimes just happen. We also know that the enemy is out there trying to make a mess of things, and he's doing a pretty good job. But I think what the author of Hebrews is saying is that when these things, no matter whatever their source, when they befall you, the healthiest way to grow through them and to accomplish God's will and purpose for your life is to receive them, to view them as a form of discipline from God. To say, okay, God, I didn't want this. It's not what I asked for. I don't like it one bit. It hurts. But I will receive it as a part of somehow your will for me that I might grow through it with an open heart. Endure hardship as discipline. And there are three reasons that hardship and God's discipline is a good thing. Number one, discipline confirms God's love for you. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Say it with me. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Let me ask you this. Is it more loving to let your three- or four-year-old son or daughter run out into the street and, and, and play in the street because they want to? Or is it more loving to stop them or to pull them off from the street and discipline them and tell them, no, 
You're not going to do it. It's obvious. The more loving thing is to discipline, to correct that child, to help that child grow and learn from this incident. God is saying, when hardship comes, I love you. Don't, maybe, maybe he's saying, don't do that again. Maybe it's something that we brought on ourselves. Sometimes our pain and hardship is a consequence of our own poor decisions, our own rebellion against God. But the Lord disciplines those he loves, and God is saying, I love you. You are my child. Number two, hardship and discipline confirms that you are God's child. Discipline confirms God's children. Verses 7 and 8 now. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, or we could say daughters. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Have you ever been out in a public place where somebody's children were just acting up? You know, they're crying and carrying on. Maybe it's in the grocery store and they're like, what in the world? And who's, you know, or at some place or you were trying to be quiet in a movie theater. Remember when you can go to movies, you know? Or maybe it was at a restaurant and some kids are carrying on and maybe they're in the booth behind you, hitting the booth and jumping around. And you're like, you know, and you're like, you know, where are the parents, right? You know, why don't the parents get a hold of their kids and you know, constrain them or something, you know, you wonder, it's like, oh, you want something to cry about, kid, I'll give you, you know, it's like, it's, we get frustrated when parents don't discipline their children. In fact, if we step in to discipline somebody else's kids, what happens? Usually the parents get a little upset, right? Hey, who are you, you know, who are you to say something to my kid or don't you dare touch my kid, we can't do that today. No. Parents discipline their children. They are the ones responsible. And when they do, we applaud them for it. We were thankful. Kids, we all need discipline. Okay? When I got a licking from dad, it was no fun, but I had it coming, and it was for the better. Right? The good news is that God is confirming in your life that you are his child. You belong to God. And he's not done with you yet. He is still helping you to grow up and shaping you to be more and more like Jesus. God's discipline confirms his love for you. It confirms that you are his child, that God himself would take the time to discipline you. He cares enough. And then thirdly, discipline confirms God's purposes. Discipline isn't dished out willy-nilly because God is having a bad day or is taking his anger out on you. Sometimes earthly parents can fall into that and take out their anger on their kids. No, there's always a positive purpose to discipline. God will make a way through it. You will be better for having come through this difficult time. If you open your spirit to God, you can get better or you can get bitter. God wants you to become better. 
Verse 9, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hardship and discipline, as hard as painful as it is, is used by God to bring life and holiness and righteousness and peace to you. It may not feel like it at the time. I know. I've been there. No discipline feels good. But God is using that hardship, that tragedy, that loss, your grief, to do an amazing work in your life. He is growing you into the very image of Jesus Christ. If Jesus suffered, how should we think we will not? Discipline is a sign that God has not given up on you. You are His, and He who began a good work in your life will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. And so Hebrews 12 gives us encouragement to persist. Because on the other side of the cross, there's life. What you are going through today may not be easy. You may be feeling terrible. You may be grieving. You may be hurting. You may be in deep emotional pain. I don't know. Life may seem overwhelming and you wonder if you're going to be able to make it through. You might feel like giving up, giving in, quitting the church, giving up on God. You wonder if God is even out there. Does He even care? You may be so crushed, defeated, and depressed, and deflated that you really don't care to go on. And the author of Hebrews speaks into our grief, into our hardship, into our tragedy today. And he says, God will redeem this. God will redeem this. You can grow through this grief in ways that you couldn't grow in an air-conditioned sanctuary listening to one of Pastor Dave's sermons. This grief, this pain, it will be far more effective. It will have a deeper and lasting effect on your life. And as much as it hurts you, Sometimes the discipline hurts the parent even more. It's hard for me to do this. But God is allowing some things to happen. Maybe he's weaning you off from some things that are not holy and pleasing to him. Things in your life that you need to shed, that you need to get, get rid of. There's nothing like pain or tragedy to sift out what's really important. What really counts for all eternity. So persevere. Keep running. A lot of people have already finished that race and they're cheering you on. Don't give up now. If they can make it, so can you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Consider that example of Christ himself. Ponder him, his pain, his suffering, and his resurrection. You can do it because Christ lives in you. 
and be encouraged to persist. Because he who began a new work in you will carry it out to completion. God is disciplining you because he loves you. You're his child. He has great purposes and plans for your life. Don't give up now. Father, we come before you today just reminding ourselves through your word that you have plans through the heartache and through the hardships of our lives. They're never easy. We wish we wouldn't have to go through them. But you know that very often there is no other way. For if Jesus suffered, so must we. Because suffering teaches obedience and faithfulness. And it strips us of things that are not important, not relevant, not of your kingdom. So help us, Lord, to love you even more. To take these times of tragedy, rather than to curse you, but to grow closer to you. To get better, not bitter. To surrender again our lives before you and to say, Lord, we're here. We're hanging on. It may be by a thread at times, but we're hanging on even as you are holding on to us. Thank you, O oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be